0: last time on three little words
1: i don't even recall them saying i love you to one another
2: there were some people you know hitting up on her um, and she seriously thought about it for obvious reasons i mean married to your husband he doesn't touch
0: you for x amount of years everybody's human Jane Morris lives in a tropical paradise, Rio de Janeiro in the 80s. She's got the beach, weekend boat trips with her kids, weekday wine tastings with her gal pals, but she's frustrated with her husband, Mick. 20 years of marriage, and he's more distant than ever.
3: In the Miami Herald, they had this long story about this disease that gay men were getting. And, okay, we're in Rio pool, it's warm, And all of a sudden, I had this cold feeling come over me.
0: In Brazil, Mick's health starts declining. He's struggling to breathe, gets fatigued. Jane chalks it up to stress and disappointment at work. He just got passed over for a promotion as headmaster of the American School of Rio de Janeiro. So they set their sights across the Atlantic Ocean, the city of Bilbao on Spain's northern coast, where Mick does land the top job. For the entire month of February 1996, the Tampa Bay Times, then called the St. Petersburg Times, devoted page three to the Morse family's experience with AIDS. One short chapter a day for 29 days. Now, those articles have all been republished at TampaBay.com, along with bonus content. But back then, it was an experiment.
4: To make the important interesting enough so that people will pay attention to it.
0: Roy Peter Clark reported this series a quarter century ago, in the mid-90s, when an aura of fear surrounded AIDS patients.
4: Almost the way you'd treat uh, a
0: leper in the Middle Ages. Sure, there were pamphlets on AIDS, scientific studies, but ignorance and misconceptions are tricky things to clear away once they take root. Around this time, Roy appears on a talk radio sports show in Tampa as the first athletes are coming out as HIV positive. A caller proclaims he's boycotting hockey games because
4: of AIDS. They're bleeding, they're sweating, Uh, I'm sitting in the fourth row what if some of their sweat were to come up and spray on me and, and you know, and I, I would get infected? And I, I said, okay, for me, that was like a turning point. That was a sign of how irrational people's fears were. Three
0: Little Words becomes Roy's weapon in the crusade against AIDS stigma. He takes 10 minutes to craft a little mission statement. This guides him through writing the not-so-little 25,000
4: words to come. I want to tell a human story, not just about AIDS, but of the deeply human themes of life, love, death, sorrow, hope, compassion, family, and community. It's so easy to see people with AIDS as the other, the outcast, suffering sinners. I want to help illuminate AIDS and help educate the public about key aspects of the disease. From the Tampa Bay Times,
0: I'm Austin Fast. This is Chapter 3 of Three Little Words, War on Frades. For the Morse's middle child, Megan, leaving Rio de Janeiro is tough. After all, she was born there, and she spent most of her 13 years in Brazil.
1: I made some really good lifelong friends in Brazil, but then I moved to Spain, and it's hard to keep those friendships when you're so far away. So at that time, we would write each other letters because we didn't have anything else.
0: Megan adjusts in Spain. The private American school of Bilbao is smaller than in Rio, so her dad ends up as her Latin teacher, too.
1: I felt like... I had to do really well in his class. <laughs> so I made sure to to do my homework and pay attention and get A's. And then the very last semester, I kind of started slipping. And I think instead of an A plus, I got like an A minus. And he wrote on my little report, he said, Oh, your grades are slipping a little, huh, Megsky? He would call you Megsky.
0: Dad enjoys being boss, Megan writes, in the cheery Christmas letter the Morses send out from Spain that year. David's playing soccer at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida. Megan is almost fluent in Spanish. Younger daughter Erin is taking tennis lessons. Jane's attending art classes. And Mick loves weekend trips.
1: So we could go into France. And then, of course, living in Spain, there's all these cool little towns and villages. And we were probably about five hours from Madrid. So we would go to Madrid sometimes and just all over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. I mean, I, we went we went on vacation to St. Pete Beach once when I was in <laughs> high school. <laughs> uh, we stayed at the Howard Johnson. Um, not quite Madrid, so I'm a little jealous. It was awesome. Even as they celebrate Christmas in 1989, Megan has no clue how serious her dad's newly diagnosed lung condition is. She doesn't know the three little words Mick uttered to his wife three weeks earlier at the hospital.
3: He said, I have AIDS.
0: Megan, Aaron, and David don't know their mother is getting tested every three months for HIV, frantic the virus might be hiding in her body. They don't know Mick demands Dr. Alvarez keep two sets of medical records, one with no mention of HIV in case prying eyes at the hospital might jeopardize his job leading the American School of Bilbao. And they don't know Jane's secret burden at home of cleaning, separating and sterilizing mixed things, protecting her family from an unseen virus. Looking back, David thinks his mother tries to salvage her marriage almost from a nursing perspective. I remember her really big into macrobiotic cooking in Spain, um,
2: making sure that he got all the right food and nutrients. Um, Yeah, I
0: was getting sick of goddamn lentil soup every night. Jane's mood swings up and down like a carnival ride through early 1990. David now realizes she was wrestling with mixed betrayal. Here's this man who I've dedicated myself to who cheated on me and is now
2: HIV positive. I've given him 3 kids. Do I dump him now or do I for the kids and, you know,
0: where we are try to make it work? Through the years, the Morses fly back to Michigan for summer breaks, and 1990 is no different. Mick and Jane keep up the charade that all is well. She spent a half year hiding Mick's secret in the cold, industrial city of Bilbao. No therapist, no marriage counselor, and no Brazilian happy hand society to help her work through it. Across the Atlantic, Jane's Aunt Joanne and Uncle Ralph have a house in Delaware, ironically at Rehoboth Beach, which, like Saugatuck near Mick's hometown in Michigan, has become a gay-friendly vacation mecca. While visiting Rehoboth, the dam finally breaks within Jane. She finds Mick's secrets spilling over to her girlfriend Jackie and to her aunt uncle.
3: I... It's a hard thing to... You know, especially with people that have known Mick, had known Mick for so long. And, you know, to think that uh, he's got AIDS was really kind of, I think, over the top for so many of them. You feel a certain amount of relief that you can finally confide in and some folks and let them know that, you know, uh, what's happening in your life and with the kids and everything.
0: But the kids stay in the dark for another year. It's July 1991, and the Morses fly to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to spend another summer holiday in the States. Jane and the kids stay at her friend Jackie's house while Mick crashes at the apartment of Jackie's ex-husband, his old teaching buddy Nick. Megan says, That
1: was a little weird. And then, so that was kind of a flag to me.
0: So we're all thinking, yeah, they're, they're getting divorced. Megan overhears Mick asked Jane to bring the kids over to Nick's place so they can discuss their summer plans.
1: And I thought, that's weird. Summer plans. What summer plans is there to discuss? We're in Michigan having fun.
0: Megan is truly Jane's daughter, so she's not about to let something like that drop. She corners Jane in the basement bathroom at Jackie's house and demands to know what's going on with her parents.
1: I don't know what prompted me to say this, but I said, Dad has AIDS. At that time, that was like the worst thing that was going on in the world. Like it was a death sentence back then. And so I just went for the worst possible thing that could happen.
0: Jane calms Megan down and gets the kids over to Nick's house to break the news. Two years after Nick's doctors diagnosed him with AIDS.
3: Megan especially was, her little mind was wondering what the hell's happened here. He just, he just told them. This is what I've got. This is. I don't know.
0: Do you did you make Mick do that or. did? Yes.
3: Yes. Um, Because he was he was not going to do it.
2: Erin, when she knew something serious was coming, she grabbed a deck of cards and just started playing by herself. A little solitaire. And she never said anything, but
0: she was crying. And that tear dropped on, on that ace. At twelve years old, that summer, Aaron is her father's daughter.
3: I'm the quiet one.
0: Aaron wipes a tear away from the ace of spades.
3: We knew something was up. Just you, you can feel you, can feel that something was off. Even I knew at my young age. And if I remember correctly, my dad just told us that that he had something to say, and he told us he had AIDS, and that was it. I don't remember too much after that. I didn't have any questions because I'm not that type of person. You just knew as a kid, you hear AIDS, you die from AIDS. That's basically what I knew.
0: Erin listens as her siblings pepper Mick with questions. Well, how did you get it? And, And he was really big on,
2: that really doesn't matter. We also like, mom. Are you are you okay? Well, I got to tell you, that whole summer was just so blurry, because the emotions were just all over the place. You're not quite sure what to do, And, and mind you, right? I'm finding this out. I'm what sophomore in college or something, or what the fuck do I do now? Do I take on the responsibility? Am I capable of taking on the responsibility?
1: My whole world turned upside down. You know, I was just in a daze.
3: Some are kind of sucked after that. Erin is just, you know, I think she went through so much silently.
2: Do you carry baggage? Some of us carry a suitcase. Some of us carry an entire Samsonite luggage set. But we survive. You do what you can.
0: First time in two years, Jane feels like she can breathe. Oxygen floods in as they tear the lid off Mick's secret. Well, one of them anyway. When David asks later that summer, Mick repeats it doesn't matter how he got AIDS. Jackie connects Jane and the kids with an AIDS counselor from a local church in Grand Rapids. The conversations feel good to Jane, therapeutic, to let loose the secrets. The council brings in a doctor so she can finally discuss Mick's symptoms in English. His fatigue, fevers, weight loss, skin lesions, and chronic coughing. They all suggest to the doctor Mick's AIDS is late stage. The prognosis? Perhaps a year or so to live. This prediction fills Jane with resolve. She'd return to Spain at summer's end and prepare herself and the kids for the inevitable. Life after Mick. But first, she has Jackie drive her 45 minutes to Finville, Mick's hometown. Mick's older brother and little sisters have to know the truth.
3: Mick is not happy that I am doing this, but your brother has AIDS and he's probably going to pass. And this is what's happening. These are what I think our plans are going to be. And his brother got up and said, does anybody want any iced tea? Yeah. That was about it. I kid you not. And then, um, I just never heard from them.
0: For several years, no one in Finville, except the four more siblings and their spouses would know Mick had AIDS, cancer. The cover story was cancer. Sweeping tough conversations under the rug is an art perfected by small-town folks in the Midwest. Maybe everywhere. At least, that was my experience growing up across the state line in Ohio. And it was Jane's experience in Union City.
3: You do things to save face. And that's, you know, even when we were in Spain, that's exactly what you ended up doing.
0: And that's what Mick's family does in Fenville. After all, as Mick's kid's sister Janice later told Roy Peter Clark, Finville isn't Chicago. Don't go away. Three Little Words will be right back.
1: My mom is probably one of, one, if not the strongest woman I know. Um, I think she has the biggest heart. She's kind, giving, beautiful,
0: makes me choke up. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> do you need to get some tissues? I'm looking- no, I'm fine. <laughs> Aw. You love your mom. I
1: do. My husband, he's like, I have never met a family where you got your siblings. You guys are so close. Like, I will talk to my sister and my brother sometimes three times a day, the four of us just have this bond. And I think it's a lot of it's because we experienced this adventure together where we lived overseas and then we lost our, you know, our dad and nobody knows what we went through except us. So I think because of that, we just have this amazing bond
0: After this tumultuous summer in Michigan, the Morses head back to Spain. But now, the kids pick up the AIDS charade, too. Megan worries her classmates will ask about her father's shocking weight loss. Over 30 pounds now gone from his once-athletic frame.
1: He would sit on the teacher's desk, and I remember his leg was, like, so skinny. There's one thing to be thin. This was, like, really looking a little
0: skeletal, almost. We all have our own ways of coping with adversity. Mick is to attack his work with even more vigor.
3: That was just Mick, you know, very much involved in his work. And if he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And, you know, it's that Midwestern yay, yay, go, go determination back in that day that's what you did you if you committed yourself to something you're going to do it
0: jane tries to convince mick to take medical leave and return to the states but that mean publicly admitting what he could barely discuss with his own wife and children let people think what they may of his haggard appearance mick wants his secret buried with him a friend encourages her to divorce mick but jane doesn't see the point She's already stowed her wedding ring in a jewelry box, and that doctor said Mick doesn't have much time. She starts looking for the next step. Michigan is out of the question.
3: I I did not want cold weather, for one thing. And I didn't want the, oh, poor Jane.
0: Then Jane's Aunt Joanne and Uncle Ralph buy a little place in St. Petersburg. Her son David's already at college along Tampa Bay's waterfront. He'd come on a soccer scholarship, attracted because the beaches and weather felt familiar, like Brazil. Jane sees her chance to start over. So my mom left with the girls,
2: and when my Aunt Joanne was there with my Uncle Ralph, across the street from Eckerd, and I'm at Eckerd, it was a no-brainer. My dad, Mick, was going to die, and he was not willing to do anything and, and basically admit to the
0: fact that he was so sick and was going to die. Mick and Jane come up with the perfect cover story for their split. You see, the American school in Mobile only goes up to the 10th grade. Jane has to take the girls to the U.S. so Megan can continue into her junior year of high school. If anyone asks, Mick's just staying behind to finish out his contract.
3: I didn't bash their father. I didn't, you know, he was their father. He loved them unconditionally. He was an excellent father and provider. I think I told you that earlier. But, um, you know, after going through, finding out about all of that with Mick, it was like, you know, you could have said, oh, your dad this, your dad that. I never did, which is really kind of surprising.
4: Right.
0: It would have been so easy. I mean, I feel like you had,
4: uh, yeah. you
0: know, any anyone in your position would have wanted to gripe and groan and complain about this person you've been married to for how long had you been married? 20?
3: 20 some odd years. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then all of yeah. a sudden you find this, this great surprise. Well not, a, well, not a great surprise. Not a great
3: surprise, but
0: <laughs> and a, quite
3: a shocker. A
0: shocking surprise. Yeah. And so I think it would be natural to be upset. And so you, how did you kind of rein that in in front of the kids? Because that sounds difficult to control.
3: I don't know. I just did because I knew too that I would be coming back to the states with the girls. So I I had three jobs to stash a bunch of money away. I think when anybody goes through anything that is traumatic in their life or, you know, utter chaos if you will, it's like I always say my word is determination. I was determined to make it and to take care of my kids. My kids were number one.
0: Through his reporting, Roy Peter Clark finds what Jane and Mick had in common
4: was the word denial, which is to say Mick was, until the day he died, um, he denied any possible rational scientific source of of. How he got the disease. And she was in denial about her health. She shared the fear that many people had that time, and she would not take you're healthy as an answer.
0: Thousands of miles of ocean now separate Jane from Mick, not to mention the years since they'd been intimate. Yet the fear of AIDS follows Jane even to Florida in the summer of 92.
3: I would kind of sneak off during a lunch period and uh, go down to the health department to get tested. And again, I did that on such a regular basis. And, um, you know, they finally said, you don't need to come anymore. (laughs)
0: Jane left college at 19 to marry Mick. She wasn't simply... The
3: Donna G. Casa.
0: What's that mean?
3: <laughs> the lady of the house.
0: Oh. <laughs> With her rural Michigan roots, Jane's no stranger to hard work, but she needs a job to survive, and fast. She polishes her resume and scours Help Wanted ads. Three weeks later, she walks into suite 505 of an office building next to St. Anthony's Hospital. It's the office of Dr. Jeffrey Panessa, who you might recall from our first episode and He
5: Needs a Receptionist. She was wildly overqualified for the position, and I was wondering what in the world she she wanted to do that for. I hired her pretty much on the spot because she has a phenomenal personality, very intelligent, very organized. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist hematology is the study of blood disorders and oncology is the study of malignancies or cancers so a lot of what we do is chemotherapy early on in my career when the HIV epidemic was raging we had a tremendous volume of patients who have AIDS and secondarily developed malignancy approximately 50% of AIDS patients ultimately died of cancer rather than infection before we had adequate treatments of the immune system. Jane
0: didn't seek out a job with a doctor who treats cancer and HIV-positive patients. She's anxious and desperate, and she takes the first good office job to come along. But she
5: keeps the personal connection to herself. She never told me exactly why she wanted the job. She just... Recently had relocated to the area and needed a job, and that's where we left it. She never seemed to have a bad day at work. It was always, oh, poor Mrs. So-and-so or poor Mr. Such-and-such, but never about herself. And frankly, Jane's number one overwhelming attribute to a fault is remarkable empathy. She is the most empathetic person I have ever met. And that quality
0: serves Jane well as she settles in at Dr. Panessa's office. One room there is lined with tan recliners. A TV watcher's paradise, Roy Peter Clark writes. But the IV connectors belie a more sinister purpose. This is where the chemo patients come in for their harsh treatments. Jane greets the cancer and AIDS patients as they enter the office. She'll crack a joke or flirt just a bit to make them feel relaxed and secure like family. Jane and her coworker Carol Ann develop support groups for patients and sessions for family members, groups for those in remission. After decades practicing medicine, Dr. Panessa says maintaining some degree of separation is essential.
5: If I see 20 or 30 patients a day, I'm jumping into 20 or 30 hurricanes uh, that these people, It's the worst thing typically they've ever faced in their entire life. And you want to be effective, you want to be empathetic, But you have to be rational and you have to be unemotional in your decision making.
3: I'm a Scorpio and we're quite emotional. We'll forgive, but we don't forget.
0: Even as her own heart aches over Mick, Jane helps patients express their own fears and worries. Perhaps she sees in other people's suffering a way to deal with her own betrayal.
3: When I came to Florida, it was like I didn't have any friends. I didn't have a job. I wasn't sure how I was going to survive. Even though I haven't had cancer, I knew where they were coming from, from wondering how you're going to live. You know, who's going to pay the rent? How are you going to pay the rent? How are you going to take care of your kids? All of that.
0: But she finds her niche, and she thrives. Then, one day at Dr. Panessa's office, a young clerk is helping a patient fill out paperwork. The patient excuses himself to the restroom before leaving. The office worker quickly flips through his documents, and there it is, HIV positive. She panics.
3: She put this sign on the door.
0: The clerk's warning, scrawled on a piece of paper, is someone with AIDS just used this bathroom.
3: She came and told me... Now be sure to tell everybody not to use that bathroom because this person who we know has AIDS has used it. And I look at her like, really? Well, number one, you're not going to get AIDS from the toilet. So it was just being totally uneducated, you know, having no idea. But, you know, this... You know, the same thing with me. It was like in the beginning, if you don't know what you're dealing with, if you can educate yourself about AIDS, if you can educate yourself about any disease that you may have or anything, then you go and you educate yourself about it.
0: Obviously, information on AIDS was harder to come by in the 90s. The World Wide Web was in its infancy. Remember how hard Jane worked? She scoured newspaper stands daily in Spain, looking for any illuminating details. But scientists knew even then...
5: The scientific data is overwhelming that, in fact, AIDS cannot be transmitted by casual contact.
0: You might recognize that voice... It's Dr. Anthony Fauci, long before coronavirus briefings made him a household name in 2020. As director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984, he's advised six presidents on HIV and AIDS issues. Here, at a lecture late in 1984, Dr. Fauci shares early research findings with healthcare workers at the National Institutes of Health.
5: In other words, a waiter, someone in the elevator, someone sneezing on you. Or even someone embracing you or hugging you or holding your hand is not going to transmit AIDS. So the fear of individuals who either have AIDS or at risk group for AIDS, transmitting, transmitting AIDS, is an understandable fear, but really might translate into uh, uncalled-for discrimination.
0: Remember, this is Fauci speaking in 1984, yet fear and misconceptions around AIDS persist for years. Almost a decade later, Jane's colleague sticks that warning sign on a bathroom door in a doctor's office, a place where patients would expect understanding and empathy. Dr. Panessa suspended that employee for a week and counseled her on better practices.
5: We had very little tolerance for that type of discrimination because these people were truly desperately ill and we were doing what you're supposed to be doing as a physician and we were treating all that came. Because there was this panic that ensued that all these people were dying and they were dying fairly quickly. And it was reassuring to the general public that it was only in, quote, those people. Those people. Along with AIDS, Dr. Panessa
0: is waging war against another epidemic.
5: He calls it fraids the fear of AIDS. It's a lot of we versus they mentality. There's a lot of fear in this country that AIDS could infect the general population and not stay segmented to sort of the fringe element of society.
0: Remember our first episode when Dr. Panessa explains how COVID-19 threatens the whole world pretty equally? Well, AIDS didn't at
5: first. People with AIDS were considered pariahs. It occurred in in gay people, IV drug abusers, prostitutes, people that those at home sitting in their quaint Cleveland suburb don't see. But then
0: HIV starts popping up in hemophiliacs. These are people who bleed very easily and often need plasma or blood transfusions. People like 13-year-old Ryan White of Kokomo, Indiana. In 1985, his middle school refuses to let him enroll because of an AIDS diagnosis. Dr. Panessa says a huge number of hemophiliacs got AIDS through the 80s, before blood banks started screening for HIV. This only feeds the epidemic of fraids. Fast forward 30 years, and HIV has become just another disease. Nobody flicked off the light switch on frades. It was a slow evolution fueled by activism and education. Starting in 1987, the AIDS Coalition
5: Unleashed Power, also known as ACT UP, forced a public conversation. That was doing all sorts of demonstrations and, and things very similar to the Black Lives Matter, but they were pretty much in the face of the politicians to try to get recognition of gay people as well as HIV.
6: They actually went to the pharmaceutical companies and chained themselves to the fences uh, as a way of saying, we're not leaving until these drugs are released or until you tell us what's going on with these drugs.
0: That's Dr. Bob Wallace.
6: I've been in St. Petersburg now for 48 years and have been practicing here for 38 years. I was one of the original HIV doctors back in 1983.
0: Dr. Wallace says tectonic shifts have reshaped the landscape for AIDS patients since those early days. There's more compassion, less fear, but Wallace worries we've gotten complacent.
6: When George Bush took office, for example, no one could speak of anything but abstinence in schools. We could not talk about condoms. We could not talk about safe sex. So that far back, we stopped educating young people. I know when I was doing it in the late 80s and early 90s, I could keep a group of 40, you know, 40 to 50 students entertained for 45 minutes, just showing them pictures of Um, opportunistic infections. You would put the slides in every few slides, and the next one you'd hear, oh, but they'd be ready for the next
0: slide. My own experience matches what Dr. Wallace is describing. In 2001, I distinctly remember sitting in a rural Ohio classroom watching my middle school health teacher hold up a basketball. Imagine this ball as a pore in a condom, she said. HIV would be the size of a head of a pin, Clearly, HIV could pass through these tiny pores, she told us, so abstinence is the only way to protect yourself. Now, to be clear, the FDA says she's wrong. Of course, no condom is 100% effective, but they greatly reduce the risk of spreading HIV.
6: We need to be able to get back into the schools, particularly at the level of grade 9 forward and be teaching people about HIV, how it is spread, how it isn't spread, and the statistics. We still keep getting this skewed view that it's just gay people and it's just men who have sex with men or it's just people who have anal sex. I just want to continue to reinforce this is a sexually transmitted disease. In fact, one of the best t-shirts I ever saw was, only babies, men, and women get AIDS.
0: Winter has come to St. Petersburg, or as much winter as ever comes to Florida. Jane writes in her journal that Mick visited for Christmas 1992, looking thinner and slouched, walking slowly. She's relieved when he heads back to Spain after New Year's. On a Sunday afternoon, six weeks later, Jane takes laundry over to Aunt Joanne and Uncle Ralph's house. Her son David's about to join them. We were all going to meet and have dinner together or something.
2: I pulled up to my aunt's house and there's this old man in the car in front of my aunt's driveway so I came in and I said, Aunt Joanne there's an old man like, in front of your house Like, is are
0: you expecting someone? Or He can't open the door because he's just so tired and weak Jane watches from the driveway as David runs out to help this stranger
3: I'm looking and I'm thinking who's that old man getting out of the car? It was Mick didn't recognize him
0: on the next episode
2: of Three Little Words. We all kind of got shocked with, you know, we we learned a year or so ago that he was sick. Now he's not going anywhere. He's not doing too well. He's not even paying attention to the Michigan basketball game. And if he wasn't watching the Michigan basketball game, he was like, like he's not enjoying life anymore.
1: I remember walking into the apartment and I just had this weird feeling the rain and the thundering and the storm and i knew my dad was on his last leg
0: three little words was reported written and produced by me austin fast the original three little words series was conceived and written by roy peter clark in 1996 with editing from richard bachman podcast script supervision came from Joshua Gillen and Maria Carrillo. Music was provided by Artlist. Thanks to the National Library of Medicine for use of archival audio in this episode. To read the original series online, flip through Roy's reporting archives, and see additional photos and audio content, visit tampabay.com three little words. Catch all five episodes of Three Little Words wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the series, please rate and review us. Thanks for listening.